Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Every single American should be wearing a mask when they're outside for the next three months at a minimum. Thanks, Jeff. That's what real leadership looks like. We just witnessed real leadership, which is Joe Biden said that as a nation, we should all be wearing a mask. Get him on, baby. It is mask time. And that is on you. You are in trouble once again. Next three months, put your masks on. Make it so. Don't complain. Don't argue. The enforcer, Kamala. 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 Will be enforcing this. She'll be making sure that you have your mask on for the next three months. She loves this kind of thing, of course, uh, because she she has an author, authoritarian um, interest in... <laughs> In uh, in resolutions for most of the problems that are uh, brought to her plate, and you'll see, we'll go through some of these in just a little bit. But that was just today, Joe Biden. They're on day two today. I want to talk about one thing, very straightforward. Doesn't have anything to do with Democrats, Republicans, or independents. It has to do. No, not at all. There's nothing political about this at all. With uh, a single, simple proposition. Every single American should be wearing a mask when they're outside for the next three months at a minimum. Every. <laughs> I find this remarkable. Now, I understand that it's strategic. So you do this, president pushes back against it. You seem like not only does this mean that everybody has to engage in this performative uh um, you know, ritual of wearing this mask and still being victimized by the horrible pandemic, which has kind of done its damage already, so that we have to live like this through the election. And then, of course, if Biden wins, then you, you'll be able to turn your mask off. And the great liberator has freed you from the shackles of this pandemic coronavirus. But it is so... It is so cynical in so many ways. <laughs> Every single person going outside, your three-year-old going outside, you know, in the uh, in the middle of the uh, the banks of the Connecticut River, with nobody around. Every single person has to wear a mask. The man sweeping at the track at the Daytona 500 on overnights has to wear a mask. Every single American, says Joe Biden. Governor should mandate 
Every governor should man- Well, our governor has mandated it, essentially, in, in Massachusetts. Massachusetts, he has mandated. By the way, mandate, that's an interesting term, isn't it? Uh, that you have to wear a mask if you're unable to socially distance. So we're halfway there in Massachusetts. No doubt that we'll go get the rest of the way very soon. Mandate. Mandatory mask wearing. The estimates by the experts are... It will- the estimates by the experts. I, by the way, before we get into the estimates by the experts... Uh, some new news from the experts, by the way. Well, you know what? I'll let Joe finish this. I'll let him finish it, and then we'll get to the experts. Save over 40,000 lives Mm -hmm. in the next three months. 40,000 lives. The people act responsibly. And uh, it's not about your rights. It's about your responsibilities. That's right. Be damned rights. No, this is about your responsibilities. That's more important than your rights. The fact is that all the states that are flying under the same political flag as Joe Biden suffered the vast majority of all the deaths and suicide of their economies while they were at it. Because the government, because the experts working with the governors knew so much. Well, guess what? Breaking news. CDC. Avoid exhalation valve masks to stop the spread of COVID-19. Masks with masks with valves allow people to expel respiratory droplets that could contain virus particles. You know these masks. They're the upscale. They're like the BMW of the masks. Upscale mask with the cool little sewer thing on the right-hand side of it. Masks with valves do not stop the spread of coronavirus and should not be used, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. <clears throat> Masks with exhalation valves or vents should not be worn to help prevent the person wearing the mask from spreading COVID-19 to others, the CDC's website reads, after it added a section on mask guidance. Masks, I love how they add the section. It's like there wasn't a a press uh, release or anything. They just added a section, by the way, just a little addendum over here. Masks help slow the spread of the coronavirus by acting as a simple barrier. Blocking respiratory droplets in the air, air, air a person exhales and stopping them from spreading, uh, spreading. Valves, however, allow for air to be exhaled through a hole. So there you go. Those of you in uh, Wellesley, Massachusetts, whose uh, Facebook profile pics and your Twitter avatars are you with your little valve mask, time to change them again. I know that you were just uh, browbeating people who didn't have your cool Beamer masks, but now it's time to, uh, to change your pictures and browbeat them about not wearing the new mask that you buy, as the expert tell us, experts tell us. By the way, <clears throat> so are the experts telling this because they mean it, or just like last time, are they telling this because they don't want us stupid American uh, citizens, you know, uh, they don't want us, great, great Unwashed, to go and stock up on all the exhalation valve masks maybe they're secretly really awesome and you know it again dr fauci maybe you'll tell us that in a few weeks while patting yourself in the back by by about how clever you and the task force was but here we are here we are every single american every single one should be wearing a mask when they're outside for the next three months at a minimum Right after he said that, he and Kamala did the 2020 version of the fish bump, fist bump, and she uh, took to the podium. Thanks, Joe. That's what real leadership looks like. We just witnessed real leadership. Was that what we witnessed? Which is Joe Biden said that as a nation, we should all be wearing a mask for the next three months because it will save lives. That's not leadership. That's pushing people around, intimidating them, trying to use political and cultural forces to get people to do what you want to do to win an election. That's not real leadership. I'm not going to say that Donald Trump has handled this coronavirus stuff great, but going and taking it upon yourself with shady executive orders to cut checks for people based on a clever um, uh, a payroll uh, tax exemption um and then getting the money to the american people meanwhile having uh you know congress call for your impeachment over it but being pragmatic enough to take the the political hits and do it that's kind of leadership 
telling people that 40,000 people will die, according to experts, 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 40,000 people will die. Well, maybe because we're entering flu season and because wearing a mask all the time and, uh, you know, cloistering yourself in a basement somewhere in a hyperbaric chamber, I'm sure you do all those free things and you're going to save a whole bunch of lives. But here in America, we live life, which means we go out and do things. We drive the cars and that increases our chances of dying and we go meet people and that increases our chances of dying and then we go to cities where democrats have tripled the crime rate and that increases our chance of dying we do things in america we have freedom we like freedom in america and the thing about joe that the american people know is that his role of leadership in our country has always been about doing what's best for the people of our country best for their health yeah their well-being, and for their families. That's what real leadership looks like. Right. Well, here's one of those times when he was doing what was best for our health in 2009 when nobody was dying from the swine flu. I wouldn't go anywhere in confined places now. It's not that it's going to Mexico. It's you're in a confined aircraft. When one person sneezes, it goes all the way through the aircraft. That's me. I, I would not be at this point, if I if they had another way of transportation, suggesting they ride the subway. Um, so from my perspective, what it relates to is mitigation. Uh, if you're out in the middle of a field and some Someone sneezes, that's one thing. If you're in a closed huh. aircraft or... Well, wait a second. You just said that everybody everywhere has to wear a mask. But how come the middle of the field was good way back then? Closed right. container, a closed car, a closed classroom, it's a different thing. So that's back then. So that's his reflex. His real leadership reflex is to panic and tuck people away and essentially say, isolate yourselves and stay underground. Back in 2009, when it wasn't needed. Also not something he was saying in February and March, when he was uh, castigating Donald Trump for, for shutting down the, uh, the flights from China. Real leadership. It's such naturally obvious real leadership that Kamala Harris had to tell us about 37 times that it had occurred. Trump was, uh, he shot back a little bit today. If the president has the unilateral power to order every single citizen to cover their face in nearly all instances, what other powers does he have? That's why he refused Biden to take questions. He couldn't answer any of them, couldn't answer the questions. He refuses to take questions. He never. And that was pretty uh, telling that he and Biden went up. Biden goes up there and says, everybody, go outside. You have to wear a mask. Kamala goes, Kamala, Kamala. 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 Goes up there and then tells us um, that you just saw real leadership, by the way. In case you didn't know what that was, that was called real leadership. And make sure you quote me. And there's your lead. There's your lead, CNN, ABC, and NBC. That's your lead, New York Times, Washington Post. That's what it better say, by the way. And you better not to cast any judgment all on me because you saw Valerie Jarrett's letter last week and she told you the new AP style rules, rules which include include no criticism of me and you heard the guy yell at uh tucker carlson two nights ago for mispronouncing my name which we're, we keep doing here and i'm sorry I'll, I'll get it i don't know what it truly is i'll have to hear her say it but here we go back to uh president trump never takes questions i take questions he never takes questions that is true that they are mandating that everybody goes and puts a mask on every human american they, they didn't say non-american and uh put a mask on and they're not going to take any questions as to why that may be a good idea. It almost looks nakedly political. And you sort of wonder what's going on because they're not that difficult. Some can be nasty, but they're not that difficult. But he never takes questions. So he just, I guess, left. I didn't see it, but I guess he just left the podium. Put it in your minds. My administration <laughs> is a different approach. We have urged Americans to wear masks. And I emphasized uh, this is a patriotic thing to do. Maybe they're great and maybe they're just good. Maybe they're not so good. But frankly, uh, what do you have to lose? You have nothing to lose. So we do and we've... Entirely the right tone. Entirely the right tone. What do you, what do you have to lose, he's telling you. So in other words, he's saying, if you got to go on with it, do it. If you got to do it, do it. What do you have to lose? Maybe it's great. Maybe it's not. He just said it. So in other words, he ain't a fan. And I know you're not a fan. 
And that's him being on the right side of an issue. You know, Trump has shown that he ain't a fan of a few things. He doesn't like masks. He does like business. He doesn't like wanton uh, criminality in the streets. He doesn't like cancel culture. The other side, the blue side, Biden-Harris, they're on the opposite side of those issues. They are for cancel culture. They are for the actions in the streets. They are for uh, this mask wearing and big bureaucratic bullying of you. So this is why I think that, that, that Trump is on the upswing here, and this has been a good couple of weeks for him. We've been saying wear them when it's appropriate, especially in terms of social distancing, if you can't distance enough. And uh, what do you have to lose? But again, it's up to the governors, and uh, we want to have a certain freedom. And we want to have a certain freedom. That's what we're about. At the same time, we also understand that each state is different and is facing unique circumstances. You have very, very different states facing very unique differences and circumstances. We've entrusted the governors of each state elected by the people to develop and enforce their own mask policies and other policies following guidance from the federal government and CDC. We're working with federalism. Let the states determine the, uh, the their own particular situations and landscapes and make the the solution strategy based on that. Now, some governors and states like mine will make the wrong strategy, but at least it's not a federal mandate of any particular thing. Each state to implement a plan based on the facts and science. We will continue to urge Americans to wear masks when they cannot socially distance, but we do not need to bring the full weight of the federal government down on law-abiding Americans to accomplish this goal. Americans must have their freedoms, and I trust the American people. By the way, when the mask police en- uh, enter marginalized communities and see some uh, young black men without masks what are the masks mask police uh, supposed to do by the way who is going to enforce that what is that the cdc is that the uh, abc is that the i mean who's going to do that the epa but anyway when they go into these neighborhoods you know in wearing their government uniforms or the local special squad uniform of whatever state level cdc or uh, agency is going to handle this is that going to be okay these interventions, the same people, the same you know, the the same community leaders who make rules like uh, you know crackdowns on selling loose cigarettes in front of liquor stores. How's that going to work out? And their governors very much. I trust the American people, and the governors want to do the right thing to make the smart decisions. And uh, Joe doesn't. Joe doesn't. Joe doesn't know too much. Unlike the Biden approach, our approach is guided by science. That's why we're focused on protecting the high-risk Americans. That is why we're delivering effective medical treatments to dramatically reduce the fatality rate. And that is why we're developing a vaccine and therapeutics in record time. You'll see that, I think, very soon. Sleepy Joe rejects the scientific approach in favor of Locking all Americans in their basements for months on end, which I think is something that Scott would be very opposed to. I think I can speak for you. This is good communicating. You can use a little bit of hyperbole. Try not to get it to be too dark. Have Trump say it in a, in a manner that's friendly enough. You know, he's got rough, rough edges naturally. But Joe Biden's for locking people in their basement. That's a good thing. That's a good thing to say from Tr- President Trump. Trump is for letting you use your own discretion. Discretion. In, it's suburban housewives who and uh, suburban housewives who you need to win, and they don't want to wear masks, and they don't want their kids to wear masks. Masks. They don't want to be told what to do anymore. Yes, they're afraid of the of the health ramifications, but they also need normalcy back in their lives, and they think that their kids are being cloistered away and isolated, and they think it's damaging, and it is. We've been dealing pretty strongly over the last number of weeks. 
but he wants them uh, in the basement for months on end. And you have governors that have been very, very strict on keeping people in their houses, keeping people in their uh, wherever they may be apartments. And frankly, uh, I don't think the results are necessarily better than other results. Correct. But he wants to shut down our economy, close our schools and grind society to a halt. By the way, we are going to be talking to somebody in just a couple of minutes who worked with President Trump until last year. Her name, her name is uh, Madeline Westerhout, and she is author of the book Off the Record, My Dream Job at the White House, How I Lost It, and What I Learned. And she worked first for the um, RNC for a bit and then joined the Trump uh, administration. And she was first the uh, executive assistant to Donald Trump and then became the director of uh, Oval Office Operations. So she was the gatekeeper, sat right outside of the president's office. She had many personal interactions with him and the people coming and going. And she was it, – it's interesting. She is – she reminds me of Hope, Hope Hicks a little bit. She was just an ideal public servant. You know, went to the right school – Put in hard work to get to to get a good position at the RNC. Um, you know, joined the joined the Trump administration. Worked hard by all accounts. Is a, a nice person. She's she's a a, a very uh, accomplished young woman. She's under thirty. She's probably like twenty six. I think she's beautiful. She's professional. She's um, she's uh, nice to uh, a, a good communicator. She was a dutiful um, employee for the for the president, and the worst elements in Washington took her down in a disgustingly unethical fashion. We'll talk to her in just a couple of uh, minutes here. Just let uh, President uh, finish up on this. And he wants it done by a federal decree. This would lead to a crippling long long-lasting depression this would be a crippling long-lasting depression right so on masks uh, national review rich lowry wrote a good uh it was national review i don't know if it was lowry wrote uh, a good piece saying have any reporters ever wondered which federal agency would be tasked with forcing nevadans or texans to wear masks in public or under what constitutional power? Biden can enact a mask-wearing ban in Vermont. Will he just sign an executive order, or will he just declare a mandate like Michael Scott declared bankruptcy? And what federal agency would enforce a mask-wearing mandate? Will National Guard be called in? Will CDC paratroopers be dropped into Arkansas? Will Biden direct local police departments to chase down non-compliant joggers? <laughs> will there be a fine? Will there be jail time? Will the offenders stand in federal courts? And what if Biden couldn't force this edict? Every day, thousands of needless interactions over petty crimes, like we were just talking about, over petty crimes, put police in contact with Americans. Let's remember that Eric Garner was killed for selling 10-cent cigarettes. Now many of the same people who advocate defunding the police want to create a national mandate that would result in thousands of interactions between cops and citizens. <clears throat> Uh, mask wearing has become just a, another stupid front in our partisan war. The fact is that whenever Donald Trump fails to engage the federal government in ways that Democrats demand, they claim he is negligent. And whenever he uses his federal government in ways they oppose, they rediscover the Tenth Amendment and accuse him of being a dictator. Trump could no more declare a no-mask mandate than Biden could force the entire country to wear masks. It's all just political theater. <clears throat> uh, correct. It is all just political theater. And, you know, it just goes to show you that the, at the end of the day, with the mask and the BLM stuff, the left, the progressives, they were never serious. They were never, never serious. That said, Kamala Harris is, now I will read you a little, Rich Lowry, Kamala Harris is serious. She does love mandates and all sorts of authoritarian gestures. This is Rich Lowry, writes, uh, uh, Harris was one of the Democratic field's greatest enthusiasts for unilateral rule and paid no price for it in the campaign whatsoever. Her presidential bid stalled out for her lack of a message and authenticity, not for her lack of constitutional scruple. In fact, her rejoinder to Biden, in fact, her rejoinder to Biden in the debate got applause, and she now, if the reporting is to believe, 
Well, if, you know, this is before she was picked. She's going to be picked. Kamala Harris proved it during her failed run. Her gun control plan would have, among other things, closed the so-called boyfriend loophole to keep dating partners convicted of domestic violence from buying firearms and mandated near-universal background checks. Whatever you think of these measures, they would have been lacked. They would have lacked any possible basis in law. The Des Moines Register ran a headline about a speech in Iowa, which she gave touting her plan. Kamala Harris, Congress would get 100 days to act on guns before she would issue executive order. <clears throat> in a tweet, she boasted, some will say my plan to com combat gun violence is too bold. Actually, what discerning people said is that it's too illegal. Kamala. But she's she's big into this. And she turns her answers on a dime. She's happy to go authoritarian or... Switch reviews at, at at any moment. We'll get into in probably mm, later next week some of the specifics as her her time as attorney general, et cetera, in, in, in that regard. But I want to get to um, our guest, and uh, it was great talking to her. Her name is Madeline Westerhout, and um, like I said. She is so positive and nice and just a, a wonderful example of a, of a young person working hard. And she was taken down by just the ugliest, ugliest actors in Washington, D.C. Essentially, I, I, because I don't get into the specifics too much when I talk to her, but we're going to be referencing it, is <clears throat> essentially she went out. Um, she rarely ever did this, but she was uh, staying at the, one of Trump's country clubs and uh, she went out with them and uh, with she went out with a couple of washington reporters some real eels and uh because her somebody in a communications office who was a more senior member of the white house was going too but the more senior member got called away anyway she was already kind of buzzing from the uh the day around the pool having a couple of uh, cocktails and she <clears throat> proceeded and this is obviously when they go out to dinner it's an off the record situation but she as has happened to many of us in our 20s when we're out socializing she got um rip roaring wasted when she was out with these uh, washington reporters and uh, the drinks were flying and she was uh, having a good time and she lost a little bit of the evening i think we've all been there and especially in our youth and she apparently was bad mouthing the president. Apparently, she said like the Donald Trump. She said something flipp flippantly about the president uh, thinking uh, being embarrassed to be seen by Tiffany with Tiffany Trump because she thought because uh, he thought she was overweight or something. She said some wacky, wasted person stuff. She's somebody who always, who likes the Trumps very much. But you know, if you're at a table and you're you're saying things that that please a lot of these Washington anti-Trump vipers and you're getting inebriated and they seem to be liking that kind of stuff and you lose all of your inhibitions and your ability to uh, moderate your thoughts before they come out of your mouth, especially when they're just out of crazy land at this point due to Sauvignon Blanc or uh, you know tequila or whatever it was, then it happens. But, I mean, she said it among people who she was having dinner with, these reporters, so in a you know, agreed that it was off the record. So it's off the record, right? Wrong. They blew her up. Three guys and one woman in, in Washington journalism blew her up, went public with what they had said, and ruined this young lady's uh, career in Washington. And she had to leave the Trump administration. Uh, she was let go by the Trump administration. She goes into how that felt and all that stuff and, and how that happened. And it just shows you, like, where's the Me Too movement? You've got a young professional who's being plied with drinks who's who's just you know getting more plastered and they betray her it's such a journalistically unethical thing to do it's disgusting so we talk about that part um and and um but also we spend a little time i was more more interested in just the day-to-day -day. like what's the truth of what's going on in the white house what's the temperature of things what are the personalities really like and so she was really gracious and great in describing all of that stuff to me. And so let's get to it right now. So I am thrilled to be talking to Madeline Westerhout. She is the author of Off the Record, My Dream Job at the White House, How I Lost It, and What I Learned. Um, I've got to tell you, ever since I heard your story last year, and <laughs> it, it seemed to me like it, it, it's such a 
almost a typical ending in Washington that the, you know these these just media bottom media. feeders you know betray you, but um, I think it's great and uh, courageous that you wrote this book, and I'm thrilled at what I've read so far. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So, <clears throat> one of the things. Okay, so people, if people don't know, you were officially, let's see, you were executive assistant to the president and then director of Oval Office Operations. You were kind of the gatekeeper, I guess, right outside of the Oval? Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. So I I met uh, Donald Trump before he was president once in 2015 at CPAC Mm -hmm. in the back room. And he was meeting like um, for a friend of his saying hi to some Boy Scouts or something. And the guy I saw there was a back-slapping um, kind of how you doing, Chuck? How you all doing in the room? He was there making everybody feel warm. You could tell he enjoyed the experience. It was very personable. And then, you know, six months later, he's running for president, and all we hear is what a mean bastard Donald Trump is. Yells at everybody and six Steve Bannon on this person or sticks six, six uh, uh, Stephen Miller on another person, and everybody's scared to death. Day to day in the White House, what was the temperature like? I'm so glad you said that. President Trump is such a kind guy, and he's so charismatic, honestly. Um, I, I admit in my book that I was not a big fan of him before I got to know him because I believed everything that the mainstream media told me. And from the minute I met him, literally my first interaction with him was so positive. He invited me to join him and a group of senior staff for dinner. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have been so wrong about this guy because he is so kind. He's so charismatic. He fills up the room and um, he is someone people want to be around. Uh, so is this, when you say like you said yes to the uh, to the meeting and he invited you to dinner, what happens when he's at that dinner? Is it policy, policy, policy? Or I mean, what what do they talk about? So this particular dinner was the Saturday after the election. And so this was kind of the first time he had sat down with his inner circle. uh, And I just happened to be there. I was um, staffing somebody else and he invited me to join. And he was so excited that night, obviously. And there were laughs and storytelling. And, um, you know, it was it was such an uh, an elation. He was so elated. And it was uh, a really a fun night. So Saturday after the election, where was this dinner? Yeah. This dinner was in Bedminster, New Jersey. Okay, and there. and yeah. the part I was just reading of your book is all about Bed- Bedminster. Oh yeah, lots yeah. happened for me at Bedminster, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that stuff because I'm. I even though that's kind of like the money hook of the book, I guess. I just think mm-hmm. it's so important that people learn about the guy. I don't know if you ever if you ever listen to Dave Rubin. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So Dave Rubin talked about being meeting President Trump at uh, Mar-a-Lago with his mm-hmm. uh, Dave Rubin was with his husband. He's married to a guy, yeah. and how Trump was warm as heck. How Melania grabbed Dave and his husband and sat them down and wanted to know everything about them. And one of Melania's friends, a first lady's friends, was a um, she was a big Hillary Clinton donor or something in the in the past, but she's still friends. Uh-huh. And it sounded like like just a great a, a guy who just wants to sit at the end of the table. And shoot the breeze with people, like like almost familial. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I think it's it's really interesting. My, I spent over two and a half years sitting right outside the Oval Office, so got to kind of watch everyone that came in and out of the office, and and even people who came in with a predisposed uh, kind of opinion of President Trump or someone like Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, you know, they walked into the Oval Office and couldn't help but uh, have a good time. I don't think they'll ever admit that, um, right. but I saw a man who wants to make everyone feel comfortable and special and listened to. And yeah, I, and I loved working for him. Yeah. Um, Madeline Westerhout is who we're talking to. She wrote the book off the record, my dream job at the white house, how I lost it and what I learned. Um, so you had come, like you mentioned, you had come from the RNC at some point more probably. And you said initially you weren't a fan of, of uh, candidate Trump. I don't think I was yeah. either. Most of us who were used to, you know, orthodox candidates you know you right right yeah yeah and i think we all felt the same but it's funny you mentioned you mentioned uh schumer and pelosi (laughs) and um you know there was that meeting that they had with him where in the middle of the meeting you probably know the inside details of this in the middle of the meeting one of their staffers went out 
or snuck out or something and and like tweeted out or reported out to a reporter that Trump had used the term bleephole countries. Mm, yeah. And, oh yeah, that meeting. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and it seems to me like they're having a meeting where you would think and oh, you know this better than anything, you would think that you could have an off the record powwow with the leader of the of the Congress and be able to speak freely. He must have been just disappointed as hell that they just took what he had said and you decided to blow him up rather than come up with anything productive in the meeting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's so common. I think uh, our culture lives on sound bites. And so people take President Trump's, you know, one sentence or one word and use it out of context. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to share with people the man that I got to know and, and not the soundbite Donald Trump that the mainstream media shares with us. What kind of things? Um, well, first of all, were there any um, any of these people going into the offices? Were there any total jerks who were coming in? Like, was Bannon a salty guy or like? You know, it was so funny when um, when I first started working there. My family would often ask me, like, who you know, what are what is everybody really like? And 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 I said, everybody is actually really kind. And the one person who um, I was kind of surprised about is Bannon. He was really, really warm and genuine to me. And so in my book, you know, I, I write about experiences that I personally had with people. I can't speak to necessarily how, how these people might have treated a, somebody else, but my experiences and what I w- witnessed. And so, you know, I, I had a great experience. Of course, there were people that came in that, uh, that weren't friendly all the time, but feel, most of, most of it was overall feel positive. Free to, feel free to name names. Oh, well, you know, I worked for a businessman for a very long time, so I'm not going to give up too much without people buying my book. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, well done. Well done. Uh, so uh, who jumped out at you is, is, is really um, like, who were you, who are some of the people you were thrilled to see every day? Uh, I think the vice president was is uh, is a great partner for President Trump. I really, really loved getting to know uh, Secretary Pompeo. Hmm. The president has a really amazing cabinet. And uh one of the things that I loved and just treasured about my job was the few minutes it, before a meeting started that I got to catch up with people like the members of the cabinet and members of Congress and really build genuine relationships uh, with these people. And so, um, yeah, I, Secretary Pompeo, I really, I really loved uh, General Dunford, who was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs for a long time. Uh, just, I mean, most people that walked into the Oval Office were, were just excited to be there. So this, if you watch CNN at all, it is constant chaos. You guys are all panicking and sprinting down the hallways there, oh, yeah. trying to do damage <laughs> control because nobody knows what they're doing. It's t- total dysfunction. It, it, speak to that. Is, is that how it is, or is it simply yeah. like- Well, if anyone's ever sprinting down the hallway, it's because this president moves a million miles an hour and never stops working, and so we're just trying to keep up with him. Um, but I think it's really interesting. I think, um, you know, I've never, I worked just in this one administration, so I can't speak to other administrations, but I think the amount of turnover and quote unquote chaos Mm -hmm. is, is probably pretty normal, uh, in a, in an administration, but this administration gets covered so much more and so much differently than any other administration that of course, you know, there's chaos and turnover and he's berating his aides all the time. And it's just not true. (laughs) Does he was he the kind of guy who would blow his stack? Not really. I can't really. I think in my book I mentioned I I think I saw him really angry only a handful of times, and and the times that he was upset, it was it was warranted. Um, <laughs> but no, he he, never, he 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 kept his cool. I mean, he it, I can't imagine. I don't think there is a more stressful job in the entire world, and uh, he he definitely kept his cool. How does he keep his sanity, knowing that? the incredible amount of falsities that are told that you hear constantly even you heard uh, joe biden even said it i think yesterday mentioning the um b- b- very fine people on both sides which is a mm-hmm. horrifically toxic lie to say mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we know and, and it's horrible look at 2020 with all the race problems we've got and you've got this the other side attributing hate speech to this president which did not happen i i mean how did you keep your sanity in there? You have to go out and go to like Starbucks. How did you? Uh, yeah, it's really hard. And you know what? The um, It was really interesting. The president kept us all grounded and reminded us sometimes on a daily basis why 
we were there and we were there to serve the American people. And uh, I think as, as a human being, the constant attacks from every single side all the time have to get to him a little bit, but he is someone who wakes up every day and, and knows that he is serving the American people and that, that, that goal is more important than, you know, the mainstream media and the left and Hollywood attacking him. He knows he's doing good for this country and and he's going to continue to do that. And how are you doing? Uh, You know, I can imagine like before you, um, I think you kind of remind me of the, the, meteoric rise i guess of hope hicks you know who was who was a the a one woman show for a while there yeah who hope is yeah no yeah, hope just, is absolutely incredible yeah go on about hope yeah i think hope uh hope was abs- is absolutely a role model mo- model for me she's about two years older than me and she is so talented and smart and what i really respect about hope is that she just kind of remains behind the scenes and does her job. And so I'm really excited that he has her back. She's a great, great uh, asset to him. How are you, uh, when when you had to leave the White House, for reasons we'll get into in a moment, um, how was that just horrifying to you? I mean- th- Yeah, absolutely. My The subtitle of my book is my dream job and how mm-hmm. I lost it. So this was my dream job. I made a, I made a mistake. I messed up. I had a bad night. And I took responsibility for it, but it ultimately cost me my job. And so afterwards, I was absolutely devastated. Um, there were a couple months where, you know, I was I was struggling and mm-hmm. some days didn't get out of bed. And so uh, one of the reasons I wanted to write this book was just to kind of take the time to process everything that happened and be able to reflect on the experiences that I had and remember the, the positive and the amazing things that that I, I got to experience. Um but yeah, I, it was it was devastating for me. But I'm I'm doing much better now, and I'm in I'm at home in Southern California, and so just kind of uh, enjoying time with friends and family. So if, if people don't know already, um, Madeline was at uh, Bedminster, and you had a little downtime, having a couple of cocktails by the pool, and then um, you had uh, you went out to dinner, which is drinks with the press essentially. Yep. And yeah. you were drinking wine. Yeah, wine can sneak up on you. The drunkest I ever got was at my cousin's wedding, and I decided to only sip wine so I wouldn't be in trouble. And I don't remember yeah. half the night. It was I still, <laughs> I'm still getting anxiety when I think about that night. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I definitely uh, definitely drank too much, and there's really no other way around it. And so, so when, uh, you, <laughs> when you drink too much, you say all sorts of stuff, and you said all sorts of stuff, uh, or, or as far as you know, you said all sorts of stuff. <laughs> But these reporters, this on-the-record friendly dinner, of course, these rat reporters out of Washington, D.C. decided to blow you up the next day, I assume? Uh, it wasn't for a couple days, actually, that that word kind of got back to the White House and uh, eventually back to the president. But, yeah, it was supposed to be an off-the-record dinner. And, you know, I, I take full responsibility for my actions that night, but, but it was supposed to be off the record. And so I think... Mm-hmm. You know, the bigger question is kind of what does that even mean anymore? Right. Well, I'm an editor at a newspaper, and if I had reporters mm-hmm. who did that, uh, we would fire them because you don't you don't say something's off the record. It's totally, uh, you know, being being on and off the record for in journalism is a hugely mm-hmm. powerful tool that needs to be respected. And for yeah. for them to do that for the cheap thrill of embarrassing the administration because it has to do with the president's family, um, is disgusting. And- yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, um, you know, I don't think there was a single person that gained anything from this story. I don't think the American people gained anything. Uh, I certainly know the president and his family did not. I didn't. And so it was it was gossip. And it was mm-hmm. uh, it was more it read more like a tabloid headline than anything that should have been reported on in the national yeah. national headlines. Well, in these reporters and those a lot of those DC elites consider themselves, you know, the most noble people on the earth and a lot of them <laughs> consider themselves feminists and they're but god forbid, you know, a woman in her 20s, a professional in her 20s get overserved in Washington DC, which is probably not a very rare thing. And yeah, actually, it's so true. <laughs> right. And spout off and then they have to ruin her life to get uh, you know, uh, likes and retweets for one day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the first person to report it um, kind of said, you know, well, well, if I didn't do it, someone else was going to do it. And Ugh. I kind of thought to myself, well, why don't why don't you just be a bigger person and let someone else do it? What a coward! <laughs> but, what a coward! Jesus, man! I, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, I'm. I don't know. Was it all guys at the meeting? 
it was, there were four reporters, three of them were men, one was a woman, and then I had a White House colleague uh, at the dinner with me who was a man. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Did, did, but the guys are the, are the ones who wrote it up? Uh, I believe so. You know, I've, I've heard so many different theories about who shared what with who and, and I've decided it doesn't really matter anymore. The, the story's out there. It was, it was uh, difficult the first time around. And I think I'm just kind of re- focused on taking responsibility, yeah. but moving forward and not relitigating that night. <laughs> so the next, so, the, so when you had to leave the white house, literally like mm-hmm. move out, what yeah. was, what was that like? I mean, how did you, did you have to go through the, like the fire exit or so uh, I was actually at home in Southern California on a scheduled uh, vacation when the chief of staff called me and asked me to resign. And, and so I never went back. Uh, they had to pack oh, up my belongings. That makes it and, easier, actually. Yeah, actually, it was because knowing the D.C. press corps, I'm sure there would have been photos of me carrying a box out of the White House. Um, but I, yeah, I was at home and was asked just not to come back. Was that... Um... John Kelly at that point? It was Mick Mulvaney Mick at the Mulvaney. time. Okay. Mm-hmm. At, mm-hmm. at the time. Um, what do you miss most about Washington or, Washington, or do you? Um, I am very thankful to have been able to spend the past year kind of at home in California. I, I still have an apartment in Washington. Um, and I, I loved that city. It was a great, it's, it's, it's a great city. I loved my time there. Um, but I think I think there's, I probably won't make a life there. Um, Hmm. But I, I, I miss just walking into the white house every single day. I think there's something so special about that building and being able to serve the American people. And, and I, I look very, I've looked back fondly on, on the days that I was working there. I'm very thankful for the opportunity. It is interesting, uh, Madeline, had at all the press treated you, you can already see how they're treating Kamala Harris and, and Joe Biden. Had they at all treated you guys like a normal White House, uh, you know, with the fawning behind the scene footage of, you know, you guys playing foosball, whatever, in the break room, <laughs> if there is one, and, yeah. and all the other stuff, it, it would have been a totally, totally different story. And I do believe that history will turn around. And because you wrote this book, which is uh, off the record, um, off the record, my dream job at the White House, it's a, it, I've already, what I've read so far is so fascinating and um, Thank you. just the, the day-to-day. And I think for people who are have anxiety about this administration because the press has never let off. We've never seen this before, um, mm-hmm. that they should read this book. It's called Off the Record, My Dream Job at the White House, How I Lost It and What I Learned. Uh, Amazon is already trying to get me to get the Kindle version of it, so it's available <laughs> at least in – um, yeah, Kindle version and the uh, in book version. Um, yeah, and there's going to be an Audible coming out soon. I, I read the, the I read the Audible, so I'm really excited about that too. Oh, that is great! Um, hey, just before we let you go, what's a quick thing that, that in case that, that people would be surprised to know about the Trump White House or the president himself? Yeah, I think uh, I mean there's a lot I could go on and on, but one thing that stuck out to me was was how President Trump. Uh, makes his decisions. And I think people think that he's sporadic and doesn't really think about things and, and, you know, just tweets. But the man that I saw is very, very careful about his decision making and brings in people from all sides to give him all, all of, you know, all of their opinions. And he gathers all of the facts and makes the decision that he believes is best for the American people. And so what I saw was, was someone who was very thoughtful about, about what he decided to do for this country. So what we're seeing in the news is not what's happening in the White House. What's happening in the White House is written in Off the Record, uh, my dream job at the White House, how I lost it, and what I learned. What's going to happen in November, Madeline? I cannot wait to vote for President Trump and Vice President Pence, and I'm really looking forward to their second term. There we go. She is Madeline Westerhout, the uh, author uh, of Off the Record, my dream job at the White House, how I lost it, and what I learned. I love that you're back. I think that's awesome that you wrote this book and that we need strong voices like yours out there. I see great things for you in the future, and I really appreciate you giving us all this time. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Isn't she cool? Isn't she cool? That's Madeline Westerhout, and she's author of uh, Off the Record, My Dream Job at a White House, How I Lost It, and What I Learned. And you can follow her. She is on, she's, uh, let's see, they don't give me her Twitter here, but she is on Twitter. Um, the book's on Amazon, by the way. I'll put the, the link up there. Let me find Westerhouse. Where are you? So people can follow you and buy the book. 
I don't think I even I just have excerpts of the book, but I'm going to buy the book Wester How, no Hout. Hout. Wester Hout. Have I been saying Westerhouse? God, I hope not, idiot. Okay, so she is Mad uh, Madeline Westerhout. She is at M E W E S T E R H O U T. Madeline Westerhout is her name. Check out that book. I can't wait to uh, to dig into it. And that's how things are. Thanks so much for joining me tonight. It's fun as usual. Please feel free to uh, leave a message. I'll try to do a podcast tomorrow. It's been tough on Fridays. It's a huge day for newspapers and other stuff for the weekend. Uh, but we'll see if we can get it done. Thanks, everybody. Really appreciate it. Camelot. 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 C'est la vie. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.